You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully, everybody's having a great week. I know that uh, I've been playing Daddy Daycare uh, quite a bit this week, and there's this there's going to be this small period uh, between the time that school gets out and my youngest gets into his uh, summer daycare slash preschool program, where I'm going. To, I might as well just call myself a babysitter. And I know that people are like, "Well, you should never call yourself a babysitter when you raise your own kids." But that's definitely what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be watching my kids from the time they get up in the morning. You know, my wife, um, now that COVID is over, is going to be called back into work, which sucks the biggest balls because now uh, that kind of throws a wrench into everything that I thought I had planned for this summer. The two older kids, they can take care of themselves for the most part, but um, it just kind of, my Mondays and Tuesdays are. I won't be able to record any episodes, basically. I'm going to be able to do some work, but not till late at night, which, uh, whatever. I guess, uh, you know, when life throws you uh, curveballs, you know, you just got to swing for the fences and hope it's a home run, I guess. I don't, I don't know if that's, a, that's probably a terrible analogy. But anyway, uh, things just got a little bit more complicated, but uh, they've always been complicated. You know, anybody with three kids or kids in general, um, that right there is, uh, I don't know. That's the, the curveball of life. They're throwing you curveballs every day. Here's a funny story. Actually, I'm sitting here, uh, I'm sitting, uh, feeding my kids supper and you know, my one kid's like, Hey dad, I don't want to eat my vegetables. And I'm, you know, uh, in a very polite way, I say tough shit. You have to eat your vegetables. Okay. I'll eat my vegetables. He eats his vegetables. Now he he gets to because he ate his vegetables, he cleaned his plate. He gets to go play Nintendo, and uh, my other kid, he sitting there and he's eating. He eats his corn dogs, his mini corn dogs, because you know, dad's uh, we're on a time crunch tonight. And then he goes, "Oh, dad, my tummy hurts." And I think it's a dude like, don't throw the tummy hurts. Uh, card at me because I know you're faking it just eat your vegetables 
So I'm, I, I'm sitting there just making him sit and eat his vegetables. And he starts to cry a little bit. And then he starts to gag. And uh, wouldn't you know, he threw up in the toilet. And now he's back to normal and he's happy again. And uh, I don't know. Like, that is the kind of shit that I have to deal with on a daily basis. I guess he made it to the toilet, which is a big win. And it, there's really no feces involved in this story. So that's also a win. But uh, that is my life is uh, feces, vomit, uh, and just like dirtiness all the time. But uh, I, I'm, I'm used to that. I'm used to that. So back to hunting now. We have a really good episode. Uh, again, man, so recently I've just been reaching out to people on Instagram and I'm just like, hey, anybody, I don't care who you are. If you love to hunt deer or if you love to hunt in general, let's talk about it on the podcast and this guy uh, Danny Thompson hit me up and he's like hey man if you're uh, if you don't have a guest I'd be more than happy to hop on and uh, I'm like hell yeah let's do it and that's what this episode is man and and you can tell in this conversation that we have uh, the title uh, you know for the love of whitetails is just this 365 day man obsession or passion, I really don't even know what to call it, but it's something, right? And we all have it, uh, and uh, we all get really fired up and jacked up about it, and our life revolves around it, you know, family and and whitetails and all this stuff. And uh, today, on today's episode, man, we kind of get into uh, tradition. He's from Minnesota, and I look at Minnesota as a good tradition state. Um, he talks about how they're he, he kind of feels there is a decline in the tradition of hunting camps and, and, and bringing people together and that the big buck craze might have something to do with that. Uh, uh, we also talk about, you know, buying land for the first time because that's something that I'm interested in. You know, I, that's on my mind all the time. Uh, and we, we share a couple war stories about three wheelers because uh, he likes three-wheelers, and uh, I have a couple war stories about three-wheelers that I share, but it's an overall, so really, it's a really good episode, man. I, I enjoy these kind, kind of conversations, a lot of whitetail talk, a lot of BS, and that's what makes a good podcast, if you ask me. So, but, you know, we got we to gotta whore out here real quick, and we're going to do a couple commercials, ozonicshunting.com. Uh, yeah, ozonicshunting.com. Check out their website. There, there is a ton of information about using ozone both in and out of the the field, out of the tree stand or ground blind. Uh, I'm telling you right now, uh, it works in the tree stand, but the functionality outside of the tree uh, in their dry wash bag or their new closet is a big deal, right? I mean, it cleans your clothes without having to wash your clothes. It, uh, as far as scent is concerned, uh, in, in the tree, the way this unit works and how it casts ozone down your scent stream is in the reaction that you get from deer is something that you just, you have to witness, right? You have to see it. So, uh, um, find, if, if you think it's too expensive, fi- find one from a friend, borrow it, get that aha moment that you need and then come and pick it up. And I'm telling you right now, uh, ozone has allowed me, you know, using an Ozonics has allowed me to really be aggressive in my tree stand placements because if the wind is out of line, just maybe a little bit, it, there's not as big as an impact as if I didn't have 
uh, ozone in the tree with me. So, uh, like I said, for more information, visit ozonicshunting.com. Check out all the units that they they have there. And if you do decide to purchase a unit, enter the discount code NFC21 nfc21 and you're going to get a free dry wash bag with the purchase of uh, one of their units and i believe that's like a 200 value so uh, that's a big deal uh, other than that uh we got what's the next one uh, exodus trail cameras you know we're bringing uh old faithful uh company back as a returning partner you know i've been down with exodus outdoor gear since day one their trail cameras and i i say this and, and you may think this is a simple out on how to uh um on a how to promote a a trail camera company but if you've ever had problems with trail cameras before i'm telling you right now uh this next statement will make sense and that is when i turn on the camera it works and that my friend makes me very happy i know that when i walk away from that trail camera it's going to work it's going to capture the pictures because absolutely nothing pisses me off more than not having a trail camera that captures pictures whether you it's gone for a week or worse yet two months and you come back and there's no pictures on it you want to see a grown man get really pissed uh there's that now uh, these guys are going through their sixth year and uh you know they're six years old great company great products uh go to exodusoutdoorgear.com check out uh their their full lineup and uh when you uh, from now until June 11th, uh, they're they're having a special, they call it their year six sale, which is their anniversary sale. Enter the discount code Y-E-A-R-6, so year six, and save 20% off the Exodus Render, which is their cell cam, the SP-18, which is their solar panel, and then they also have a combo kit that's for sale too. So you can save 20% off those three SKUs. That's a big deal. Uh, take advantage of that. Uh, and by the way, their, their cell cam might be one of the fastest in the game when it comes to from the time the picture's taken to the time that it is sent to your phone. So I want to say like under 30 seconds, for sure under a minute. I'm going to find out more information about that, but it is fast. And that gives you real, almost, almost real-time data. So uh, take that how you want it, exodusoutdoorgear.com. Lastly, Lone Wolf Tree Stands. I'm going to keep this one short because you know how much I love this. I mean, these guys have been a partner now for like going on three years. And uh, there is no other tree stand I would rather be rocking come the run and gun rut uh, other than four sticks in, a, in an assault. And, uh, you know, they have uh, an alpha, which has a bigger platform. They got climbers, but the four climbing sticks and the assault gets me in any tree, in any location that I need to hunt. And I'm telling you right now, it is like an appendage. It's just, it's a, it's a fourth or it'd be a fifth appendage, right? Especially during this learning curve, right? It's a short learning curve. You get up. Now it's taking me five minutes to get up, hunt, tear down. You know, next day, new place, next day, new place, new tree, new tree, new tree. And that's how, that's how you're being a mobile hunter and mobile hunters, as we all say, first time in best time in. And, uh, I get that done with a lone wolf. Now, if you want to save $50 on all purchases over $200, that's, uh, a roughly a savings 
that's uh, 18 to 25%. Enter the discount code 9FC21, 9FC21, and you're going to save $50 off of all purchases over 20 or over $200. That's a that's a huge discount. That's like that's way cheaper than any retail store you're going to get at any retail store. So take advantage of that. And that's the uh, commercials for today. Uh, thanks for, first off, thanks for listening to those because it's important to me that you guys hear uh, these commercials because not only are we making, you know, we, we got a lot of good offers here, but uh, all these companies are supporting me. That allows me to do this and, and listen to, uh, you know, listen to all the content that's coming out of this nine finger camp. So appreciate it. Uh, and they feed my family too, which is a, another big bonus and I get to do what I love, which is another big bonus. So there's that. Uh, I'm kind of, uh, stuttering today. So let's just get into today's episode with Danny Thompson of Minnesota. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Danny Thompson. Danny, how we doing, man? Doing good, doing good. Just uh, up here doing some food plots and enjoying the summer heat finally. Yeah, right? I, I think as Midwesterners, we sit here and we bitch and complain about how cold it is. And then, you know, if you don't hear us for a while, uh, that must mean the weather's no humidity and, uh, you know, in the 70s like it has been the last couple you know, a handful of days and now the heat's here and now we're going to start bitching about the heat again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, let's kick it off. Like we always kick it off and, uh, just ask you, where do you live and, uh, what do you do for a living? Yeah. So I live in Andover, Minnesota, which is just kind of central Minnesota. And I'm actually a regional sales manager for Garmin Marine. So I handle, kind of the upper midwest the ice fishing stuff and um any of the marine sales we do up here gotcha so you work so you work for the a marine uh i guess the the quote-unquote fishing side of garmin do you get to do a lot of uh, uh fishing yourself yeah for sure so obviously you know working in the fishing industry there's a lot of events a lot of on the water stuff I'm getting ready to fly to the Bassmaster Classic next week and then follow that up with a week on the water on Leech Lake for the Reed's Father's Day Classic. So it's just seems like I'm always on the water, always fishing, but it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. People always talk about how great your job is and you get to fish all the time, but sometimes, you know, when you do it for work, it doesn't uh, make it as, as much fun, I guess. Yeah. I remember back in the day when I used to hunt like 45, 50, whatever. I mean, I just a ton, like almost every day in, in certain times. And, uh, I, I feel like if I was to do that now, I might get burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. Cause like, I meet a lot of the guys, even like, let's say Bassmaster guys next week. And like, guys like Jason Christie or Wade Middleton or some of these guys that they, they are known as professional fishermen and in the fishing industry like that, but they all are diehard deer hunters. And I think if you were to meet guys that are, you know, huge into deer hunting, a lot of times they absolutely are just eat up with fishing. So it's like, you kind of, you, you do what you love for a living and sometimes it'll, it'll push you into another Avenue. But I mean, at the end of the day, I go fishing for a living. So there's no complaints there. Yeah. All right. So, before we start talking about hunting, 
I want to talk about three wheelers because oh boy, <laughs> dude, I have so many fun memories growing up as a kid um, riding three wheelers around, and now I don't even know if they are allowed to make them anymore in the United States. Uh, I don't know if there's any laws prohibiting that, but um, I remember for a while. Man, me and my, my, my buddy John, he lived out in the country just south of where I live, south of town. And uh, we used to get that thing hauling ass, and we'd, dr- we'd get in the ditch and then jump driveways with it. And we should, I'll just say it, we should probably be dead uh, with all the dumb stuff <laughs> that we've done on a three-wheeler. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm an 80s kid. Three-wheelers were around in the 80s. I'm absolutely, I mean, I love deer hunting like fishing love three wheelers it's, it's just one of those things and it's funny because with like covid and with you know people my age starting to grow up and you know it's almost like you know my dad's generation i feel like they all got old cars like chevelles and camaros and stuff it seems like kids my age are buying three wheelers because the market is insane right now like they're selling for three times what they were new back in the day so yeah it's it's, it's funny so let me ask you this why three wheelers and not four-wheelers. I think it's just part of the, it's, I don't know, it's cool. They're cool. They're outlawed. They can't make them anymore. It's something from back in the day. I don't know. It's it's just, I don't know, it's fun. Yeah. What what ended up doing that, uh, my buddy's three-wheeler in, is we just jumped that driveway. You know, we would jump that driveway, land wrong, bounce off of it. And we're not, you know, I never used to wear a helmet on any of those things. Roll off into the ditch, into the tall grass, shake it off, get back off, and do, try to do it again, right? And uh, oh, yeah. my my uh, buddy's brother, he's older, and he's like, all right, I'm going to jump the longest. You guys jump have been jumping pretty long, but I'm giving it everything this time and he comes and he lands real hard on it and he didn't fall off and we got all fired up but he bent the back axle so it was you'd it was you'd oh my god and his dad was so pissed at us um once you know my buddy had to tell him what we were doing with it he's like are you kidding me (laughs) (laughs) yep exactly oh they 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 can definitely come back and bite you that they there's a reason they're not allowed to be made anymore. Right, right, man. Uh, I, anyway, I, I just saw that, and I was like, a lot of memories of my buddy's house kind of popped up. <laughs> and uh, just fun times with th- three-wheelers, man. Yeah. All right. So Min- central Minnesota is where you uh, – that's where you were born and raised, right? Yep, yep. yep. Born and raised, that's where you're, that's what sounds like that's where you're living now. Um, talk to me a little bit about, I, I look at Minnesota and I feel, I, I think Minnesota has, is one of those states with a, a really strong hunting tradition. What I mean by that is, you know, the, the hunt camps, the rifle, opening day of rifle, everybody goes out and, you know, they, they go out and hunt in the morning, then they go eat breakfast and they come back out and, and hunt in the afternoons, however many days the rifle season is along with, uh, probably some bow hunting tradition as well. But that's, that's my vision or my visual of Minnesota. Is that the same visual that you get? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I, I think even just a lot of the states up by me, but Minnesota especially, it's like, that's exactly how it was growing up. You'd, you'd go to the deer camp with 
family members and friends and hang out by the fire in the old shack or a camp of some sort. Um, there's a lot of state land in Minnesota. So a lot of times you're hunting state property and it wasn't like growing literally until I probably was in college even or high school before I even shot like a nice racked buck. I mean, when I was younger, it was just like, if you've seen a deer, it was exciting. And if you got a deer, it was exceptional. You know, you'd sit all season, three weekends of gun season, just trying to stay warm and see something. So, I mean, huge, huge tradition as far as that goes. And especially in my family with my grandpa and my dad and brother and everybody, that's just something we've always done and still continue to do. And I, I think a lot of times nowadays with the way hunting is going nowadays, I think some of that's even getting lost. Like people are, are, you know, we should get back to the roots of the camps and inviting the kids and the wives and the daughters and the friends and stuff like that versus just worrying about, you know, the biggest buck on our property. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I feel it gets a little tricky, right? So the, the farm that I hunt is I have, I have any type of access. Like if I wanted to hunt, I could probably a shotgun hunt in Iowa. I could probably do it, but there's other groups of guys who have been doing it for long periods of time and, and they run it multiple times throughout each shot, each, uh, second and, uh, or first and second shotgun season in Iowa. And it's just, it would be overran if I tried to bring my family out there. And it's not like, it's not my farm, right? I, I can't do what I want to do on, on my farm and have kind of like a hunt camp or whatever. But with that said, I agree with you. Like, I feel that, um, like for me, I, I would consider myself a solo hunter. I don't like, I, I don't have a quote unquote deer camp where I'm going out and, and hunting the same piece of property with one of my buddies or something like that. We're not bouncing around. It's just kind of, it's just kind of me. And maybe that's different because it's, uh, uh, a bow hunting thing, right? Bow hunting is more yep. of a solo thing than a, a, a group, you know, part and i don't want to say party but like a uh, a tradition event like a rifle season would be so um kind of kind of talk to me a little bit about how you grew up and and how that uh you were involved with that family oriented tradition yeah so you know for us it was i i've literally been deer hunting and, and got the pictures of me since i was just you know a little little kid three years old my dad was taking me out and going hunting and going to the camp and that kind of stuff and even like my grandparents lived on a dairy farm in south southwest wisconsin and like for thanksgiving you know wisconsin's gun season was over thanksgiving so it's like all my uncles and all of us we'd all go down to grandma's farm for thanksgiving and part of that was going deer hunting and you know i wasn't old enough to carry a gun but i'd go with and i had a big knife that i always wore on my belt and got to sit with my dad and kind of grew up doing that stuff. And it, it was really all about gun season. You know, when I was growing up, my dad had bow hunted a little bit, I think before I was even born. And, you know, it wasn't until later that I started bow hunting, but you know, the deer camps and, and the family stuff like that, that's what it was all about. I, I don't remember anybody ever even really getting a real nice buck until I think my dad shot a nice one probably in like the nineties, you know, and that was about it. It was, it was just more about family and being there and the food and, you know, just kind of being together and that kind of stuff more so than even the hunting or any, anything like it is nowadays. You yeah. Know? Yeah. When, when do you think if you were to just take a guess uh, on when 
you know, people started in that in your uh, camp or in your uh, your little uh, gun season uh, uh, tradition that you're doing. When did people start actually talking about big antlers? I mean, was it because uh, it sounds to me like you guys were part of a it's brown, it's down type club. And then and then later on is when people started talking about big antlers, like maybe we should let this one go. Maybe we shouldn't uh, talk to us a little bit about that and maybe what some of those conversations were like. Yeah, I mean, for, for our group, the big buck thing was probably my fault, to be honest. Like, so, you know, my, my dad, even to this day, I, like, he still loves to shoot deer, and, and whatever he shoots, I could honestly probably care less. And same for my brother, because it's just the three of us now um, left of our group, I guess, because people have gotten old and passed on and whatnot. But, um, you know, I've always thought that I was going to work in the outdoor industry. I always thought some – I went to college for natural resources and just kind of thought I'd – do something like that and I ended up actually working for a retailer um, Cabela's in southern Minnesota and down there's where I kind of really gained the big buck craze because there's big duck bucks down there in bluff country and um, you know started looking for a place to hunt down there got a lease down there and and it was they had an actual law it was the antler point restriction law where it had to be four points to a side or more for it to even be legal to shoot and so it was kind of like, okay, well, then I started, you know, going after bigger bucks. And I think I shot like a 115-inch 11-point buck or something one year. And from then on, I was hooked. And then that sort of like transferred on to our group. And, um, you know, I, I think it, it's always like you got to get that first one under your belt before it's easier to wait for a big buck. Because a lot of times it's a matter of just having the patience. You know what I mean? And hunting in the right areas, I guess. And we were definitely in the right areas once we started hunting down there. Yeah. Yeah. So was it hard for certain people in your group to, to do that? To, to all of a sudden, you know, for years and years and years, they were shooting whatever they wanted to. Now there has to be some kind of consideration where like, uh, you know, uh, maybe I should start shooting like, I don't know, passing some of the four corns that I've been shooting over the years. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, you got to remember around that time, this would have been maybe early 2000s in in that era. And so trail cameras were kind of just becoming a thing. And with me, you know, working in, in the outdoor retail, I of course was on top of the latest, greatest equipment always. And so I had gotten a couple trail cameras at that time, like the old ones where you had to put the big, you know batteries in it there was still battery in there and stuff yeah and so as soon as it was like because like for us we don't live where we hunt so it's not like i see a big buck out in the backyard it's like i'd be up there doing work well you're not going to see the big bucks then a lot of the times and so finally when we had the cameras i was like hey there is nice deer around here maybe we should wait for that buck or maybe we're doing the right types of things to our land and now we're getting those type of deer. So I think trail cameras was a big part of it. You know, that was around the time that I think the social media stuff was kind of starting. It was just, you were more, do I want to say like pressured into hunting big bucks and trying to pass the smaller ones. And that's when it, at that time, I think it was looked down upon or beginning to be the era where it was looked down upon to even just kind of hunt brown it was down or even do deer drives for God, you know, God's sakes or something like that. It was just, there was a big change, I think, in the hunting industry. A at little that more time. judgment from, from people. Yeah. Huh. 
for sure. And 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 I fell into it hard, you know, because here I am hunting a antler point restriction. I'm in Houston County, Minnesota, which is, you know, prime habitat. I had the deer there, so it was like I almost felt the pressure to try to shoot those bigger bucks and get the people that were hunting with me to shoot them as well. And of course, looking back now, I'm like, I think we would have had a lot more enjoyable seasons back then if we would have just shot a legal buck, yeah. you know, and, and just enjoyed it more. Yeah. You know, I think that's a really good message, uh, that everybody really needs to hear. And I think that a lot of people, especially new hunters, um, you know, I mean, but it's hard for me to talk about this cause I'm guilty of it too. Right. I'm yeah. going after older age class deer. I'm going after, um, you know, I'm going after, I guess you would say sometimes big antlered deer and, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a hypocrite, but I think at the same time, if people are frustrated with not being able to get something that may seem uh, unattainable or is unattainable from the part of the country that you hunt, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with filling your tag with any legal deer, any, any legal deer. It could no. be a, a, a fawn, a button buck, a spike buck, whatever. If it makes you happy, man, that's, you know, that's something that I think a lot more people need to preach. For sure. And, and I think that this is the hardest part too. And I think social media is probably the biggest problem with this, but you, you need to compare yourself with people that hunt in the areas you hunt in. So like, okay, you're in Iowa. I look at your deer and you might be like, oh, it's okay. I was hoping for something better. And then I got this one. He's mature, but like, it's, it'd be like one of the biggest deer I ever shot, you know, right. and people who hunt Northern Minnesota, look at what I shoot and they're like, oh my gosh, you shoot giant deer. And I'm like feeling guilty that I shot a four-year-old, you know, 140 and I probably should have shot a five-year-old 160 or something. You know, it's just, yeah. I think it's too easy to look on social media and get that instant, like, no, it, it, we say it all the time, but like you, you scroll through a thousand deer pictures and like, I find myself guilty of this, like sitting here going, well, dang it. Look at that deer. Look at that deer. But you don't realize how some of these people shoot them and like, you know, what, if, if they're even hunting them as ethically, let's say some of these people, or if, you know, the amount of work that they did put into it. I mean, some people work very hard to shoot nice bucks. Some people get lucky. Like there's just so many variables that you can't see when you're just looking at an Instagram story. Right. A lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, context, uh, of a picture that's typically left out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then like, I think nowadays it's funny cause I'll look and like, I used to be embarrassed by shooting like not a big deer. Well now I feel like I'll shoot like a nice mature, like four year old buck. And it's almost like I'll, I'll feel guilty because I feel like I've gotten to a point where I can almost can get a nice buck every year. If I, like I put my time in more than maybe even a lot of people and I've, you know, figured out some stuff, but it's like, I've gotten to a point where I almost feel bad showing people like, Oh, I shot another deer that I'm in a shoulder mountain put in my basement. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's not as easy as it seems like you really got to compare yourself to people that are hunting on your level. And then to that matter, it's okay not to hunt at, of the top level like it's okay to be a hunter and to just hunt for the meat and in the enjoyment and stuff like that and like I said but i am hypocritical because i don't want those to be yeah. my neighbors or in my party either so it's, yeah it's a touchy situation yeah so 
here's what I tell I always tell people my and I I love my wife to death but she always compares herself to other women and she compares her like what we have as a family to what other people have as families and everybody's different right everybody has different scenarios that they come from whether it's hunting or whether it's life in general and in my personal life and and I I'm going to apologize for the swearing up front <laughs> but I have adopted the zero fucks given policy where yep. I don't care what other people think about me and I don't judge other people or I try not to, <laughs> I, I try not to judge other people. And coming back to the deer hunting thing, if I see a spike or if I see a, you know, a Boone and Crockett, I always tell that person, dude, congratulations or do that, whatever. Yeah. Congratulations on a great deer because that's what we need more of. It, it, we shouldn't give love just because the antlers are big. We should give love because people are out there hunting, man. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I was super, like I fell hard this year. So I, it, it's been my lifelong goal to own my own property. And I, I worked really hard. I drive a crappy old rusty suburban. I go without a lot of things. I, I worked really hard to buy my own property. Okay. So I get this hunting property, I get my cameras out, I have an absolute giant of a deer, 200-inch deer show up on my property, and I, like, I've never wanted one specific deer so bad. I've always had, like, a few target bucks, and, you know, it was great to get one. I wanted this deer. It was a big non-typical. It was the first year of owning my own hunting property. I had this deer completely dialed in, and I ended up having to leave for a work trip when we got a nice cold front right what two weeks before um, gun season this year and then I came back I hunted him the neighbor ended up shooting him during gun season and it took everything in me to try to be excited for that guy (laughs) hey that's human nature man I tell you what um I chased uh, a 200 inch deer well he wasn't 200 every year but for two I think it was like 170 uh, then he disappeared for a year uh, and I had a picture of him one time in the summer, I'm guessing somewhere around the one eighties, then he was a one ninety, and then two years for uh 200. And then that, that last year, uh, the neighbor shot him and I put a lot of time and energy. I passed a lot of yeah. deer that I had never shot before, uh, and, and ended up, uh, and ended up, uh, the neighbor shot him. So I, I, well, here's the, the other story is I hit that deer when he was about two, oh. 210 inches and just like a, a crazy story about maybe aiming a little too high. Uh, and hit, I hit, yep. him, I hit him in the spine. I was shooting a mechanical, uh, the mechanical just, I, I feel that my arrow wasn't heavy enough. I, my, cause that was before the, the heavy arrow craze that everybody's going through right now. Right. I feel that if I had yep. a, a fixed blade or the same broadhead, but with a um, with a, a heavy air, like a really heavy arrow behind it, I probably would have spined him, and he would have dropped right in front of me. But yep, uh, he hit him. He made it through. I got him on trail camera pictures, looking pretty healthy in February. And uh, the next year, he came back as a, a two hundred incher, and then his and then the neighbor shot him. And there was a a moment there where just like you, I was like. Oh shit. Like I wanted that deer so bad and I was just getting ready to take my two week, uh, November vacation 
but it was a late yep. October to- cold front and the, the guy ended up p- putting his stand in the right spot. And I know this guy and I know his family. He's a great guy. So I wished him, con- I told him congratulations, but he, you know, he went out of his way to call me and tell me, Hey man, I, I got this deer on the ground. And, uh, um, so I was, ha- I was happy for, you know, I was happy for him, but that, that is, that's, that's yeah. a tough thing to do, especially when, uh, maybe subconsciously we all think that we deserve something that we really don't deserve. Yeah. And and that was the thing. It's like, I had bought this property. I had gotten a picture of that deer the year before. And it was like, part of the reason I even wanted this property so bad is in, he was only like a 150, 160 the year before. And he just exploded with all these extra points. And then I had him so dialed, like to the point where I already had the spot picked out in my house type of thing. Like it was pathetic. <laughs> I mean, this, this deer, it like for whatever reason, he'd bed next to my pole shed. He would walk 60 yards from my pole shed every morning and every night. And then I went there when the wind was right. Everything was exactly like it should have happened. Every noise that I heard that night in the stand, I was just sick to my stomach because I just knew it was him coming. And then I proceeded to sit there five days, sun up to sun down, never seen him. And then the neighbor's wife actually filmed him in a field a quarter mile up the road from me. And he was chasing a doe. And it was like, for whatever reason, I knew in my head at that moment, like that deer was gone. Like he wasn't coming back. Gun season was a day away. And then I found out later on, like, I didn't even like, it wasn't like the neighbor called me. Like I just found out kind of through the grapevine and then seen the pictures where the, the guy had killed it. And they're the type of people where they don't, they don't really do anything. Like they just, they got a huge party and they go do like drive, sit in, sit in a stand for a little while in the afternoon, shoot whatever goes by and just happen to shoot that deer. Yeah. And, and it was like, exactly like you said, like I, I felt more deserving of that deer, but at the end of the day, like we don't own the deer. It's not yeah. my deer. Like he had just as much right to it as I did. It just, sometimes it's, it's hard to take those ones. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh, and that's happened multiple years for me, especially when, yeah. um, you know, you share a, a farm with somebody like I, I, I now keep in communication better with some of the guys that hunt the same farm as me. But at the same time, I, I don't, um, uh, you know, I don't go out of my way and share trail camera pictures with them. Uh, sometimes I do, but not really. Yeah. Uh, so for the most part, all we do is, uh, you know, we just communicate like, Hey, uh, I caught a trespasser on camera, you know, or Hey, I, I had this on camera or Hey, I got uh, some camera stolen. Have you had any issues or, uh, you know, Hey, just want to let you know, I shot. I shot this deer and he, you know, he's done that. He's done that with me a couple times as well. So it's good to have that type of communication, uh, with, with people yeah. that you're sharing the property with or, or, uh, neighboring properties. Cause you know, especially on a 200 inch deer like that, when you, you've made up your mind that that's the only thing that you want to shoot. And then mm-hmm. he disappears and guess what you're doing? You're out there still hunting for him. You don't know he's dead but you're still hunting for him. You still hunt for him. And then, you know, it'd be nice to, it would be nice to know whether or not, uh, um, a buck like that is still alive from a, you know, just a text. Hey, just want to let you know, I got him because that would ultimately change the strategy for the rest of the season. Oh, it, and it did. Like, luckily I had found out that deer was gone and I moved on to the second, you know, second, third, fourth deer I was after. And I did end up, 
shooting a deer. So like, I mean, it would have been one of like, it was great to shoot a great, a nice mature buck off of my property. The very first year I owned it, if I hadn't heard that buck was dead, I probably never would have shot a deer this year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's nuts. Let me ask you this uh, question. So you're like me, right? I, I'm not, I'm not a guy of flair. I don't like to, you know, buy a lot of things. I, I, you know, except maybe some deer deer hunting related stuff. I do spend a little bit of my hard earned money on some traveling, you know, just some traveling. But when it comes to my truck, my, my house, you know, some other expenses uh, throughout life, I, I keep it pretty meager with the ultimate goal of doing what you, uh, you know, did and trying to buy some land someday. So, Talk to me a little bit about the feeling that you got when you signed your name on the piece of paper and, and now you're, you, you went from not being a landowner to now being a landowner. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, so I've always had a lease. I hunted state land. I hunted by permission. And like, we all know how much that sucks. Like, even I had a lease with one of the greatest farmers you could ever ask for, but it's like at the end of the day, anything you do to that property, anything you put into it, there's just the chance that someone's going to come along and offer more money or he retires or moves. Like there's just always was this idea that it's not mine. I can't do what I want to it. You know what I mean? And so like finally owning land, it, it's like, if, if you're like me where it's your biggest end goal, it's, it's by far the greatest feeling ever, ever that you could ever have besides, you know, my, my two daughters and, and that stuff, like oh, finally signing papers and owning land was the greatest thing that's ever happened. I feel like, and, and then to have a 200 inch buck on it, the first year I owned it was kind of icing on the cake, you know, especially in Minnesota. And it, it was absolutely awesome. But then it's kind of like you do all the work, you find the property you you finally owned it but then it was like a little bit of stress because you're like okay i'm young and then bam covid hit i'm a sales guy like people buy fish finders when they have extra money and they can you know go fishing and do hobbies but when covid came and it was like the economy was kind of uncertain like there was some scary times there for sure so let me ask you this uh just kind of on on, on that topic real quick I know speaking to a lot of com- companies within the hunting industry, 2020 was an exceptional year for a lot of oh. hunting hunting companies, and they were making a ton more money than what they were used to. And I think a lot of it has to do with forcing people outside and getting them to buy license and hunt again. Did that carry over into the fishing industry as well, especially on a high-dollar item like, like Garmin Electronics? absolutely i mean i'm the product availability availability is really tough right now um there's there's no boats like you try to go buy a new boat there's nothing out there everybody you know when there was no sports there was no going to canada there was none of this stuff people just started going okay what can i do i can get into the outdoors and so bass fishing um you know leagues with the high school like stuff like that was still able to go on because you're kind of like socially distanced but able to get in the outdoors and that has carried on i mean i travel a lot for work obviously and the amount of traffic where people are hooked up to boats campers four-wheelers side by side tractors just 
everything related to the outdoors is more than I've ever seen in my whole life. I don't know one company or major retailer that I work with that isn't, you know, having a banner year. And I think it's, you know, just a result of that. I mean, every state that I know of had an increase in fishing license, every state. Yeah. Yep. And I think it's the same way with uh, hunting license as well. They just kind of, uh, hey, let's get outside. Let's go do this. And to be honest with you, hopefully it carries over not only for the industry side, but just for getting more people, you know, introduced to the outdoors as well. For sure. And I, I think there's been a lot of talk of that. I've, I've heard a, a lot of, you know, from the um, state departments and stuff like that, where like, okay, we've got these people. But now when soccer and, you know, going, being able to go back to whatever video games or whatever it was people did before, like, how do we retain these people and keep them in the outdoors and continue to have them? Because, I mean, we all know anybody who's into hunting and fishing, we all know we need those numbers. We need those people. We need people to stand up and support our industry and what we do. And so there's nothing better than new young people getting into it you know what i mean like you look at the average age of a deer hunter nowadays and it's up there i want to say last time i looked it was in the 40s 50s somewhere in there well what are we going to do when those guys are 80s and or no longer with us i mean we need to to keep keep it going you know what i mean so that that time's very quickly approaching um let me get back to your property a second so how many acres did you buy? So I bought 80 acres, 80 acres. which I know isn't, isn't a ton, but it, you know, it, it's completely wooded. I'll, I'll kind of give you the setup of it. So it's completely wooded. It's got a five acre food plot that was kind of already established right dead center in the middle, so like right in the middle of the two forties, essentially across the whole Northern boundary of it is a road or like a driveway it was an old county road from way way back in the day so there's good access from that side i'm surrounded by big egg and i've got all woods with a little food plot but what kind of made it happen for me i I was thinking i'd get like 20 acres to 40 acres something like that you know what i mean and we were looking and then my wife seen this place and it had a cabin it has a shower it has a toilet um, has electricity it had a pole shed and it was like okay this is something that like we can go do as a family and maybe yeah. during that covid time frame it just was even more relevant you know what i mean so we kind of looked at at those features and made it work you know what i mean just because we knew it'd be something that would be good for the whole family not just something that i would enjoy for deer hunting only yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um and I think that here in Iowa, man, prices are so out of control right oh. now when it comes to when it comes to hunting ground. And I, I want so here's what I, and here's what it has to fit my budget. There can be zero ag on it because that just jacks the price up. Um, honestly, it, it has to. I feel like if I'm gonna get a good price on a piece of property, I have to buy it directly from a landowner before yeah. it starts getting marketed, you know, through some of these whitetail uh, land companies that, that are out there. Because the second that you start yeah. posting pictures of big deer on trail camera or on, on those listings, like the price is just automatically bumped up. 
and oh, now now for, it's for sure yeah so i'm basically looking at something that is more location or terrain feature based and not necessarily any ag at all uh, something that can't be developed at all so basically scrub ground is what i'm getting at and that's you know and that's where the deer live which is awesome so hopefully i i can find a piece like that i've been doing some research and, and i'm hoping that uh if all things go well financially within the next um, i don't know five years i can i can find 20 15 you know something just something uh to get my feet in the land yeah. ownership game so i don't know well and so that's that's the other thing like when you're looking at land and, and like obviously i guess i didn't necessarily go this route but the thing is is like you don't have to buy your end goal and i think that's what a lot of people sometimes will get stuck on yeah. and so like I, I bought this land with 80 acres but it's land is never going to go down in value it's always going to go up and there's never going to be more land like i bought this i can make some improvements to it i improved you know a couple of stands food plots put in some trails i could sell it for you know a profit now and buy more land and so like you can start off with 10 acres as long as it has like a nice feature i've hunted a bunch of 10 acre plots close to the twin cities that were amazing deer hunting you know they had just had a nice swamp or something on them and then you do something to it you sell it like there's steps i mean you look at the guys like the big guys out there even the big guys in iowa like winky and lakoski's and juries like they didn't start with what they have right now like it's okay to to get something do the right improvements at you know wisely without putting too much money into them and making money and going into the next property you know yeah absolutely so what's your what's your short-term goals on this new piece well the it had like all woods basically and so adding some food to it but i'm surrounded by a big egg so like my property is one of these properties where i have the deer that they live on my property and then at night they leave the property and they go to the big egg which is a hard piece of property to find but it's a property that you want because you, you want the deer to be on your property, especially gun season comes along and they're spooked. They all run to my land because I'm completely wooded other than like where the cabin is and the little food plot where everything around me is big bean fields, corn fields, that kind of stuff. And so continuing to keep it covered, keeping new, you know, regen going, like it was logged off not that long ago, but I did a big hinge cut project this year where, you know, I, I cut down a bunch of these big, you know, trees that would have had value to a forester, someone looking to maybe log the property. But to me, they were not helping my deer hunting. So I went in and dropped some of those and you can already see the results. I've got, you know, a bunch of bucks kind of summering where that hinge cut is. I put in some more smaller food plots to kind of give them those, you know, first feeding type of food plots, you know, before they head out to those big egg fields. So kind of doing that the cabin needs some work so just some paint and some elbow grease and stuff like that to continue to to do that and you know my goal is to just add property to it in the future even if I could find another 80 acres that's down the road a mile or something like that I think that's kind of my end goal gotcha gotcha so so short term is just improve the habitat to get deer feeling more comfortable you know throughout the entire season right um, yeah. Yep. And then with an end game of picking up either bordering properties or something within that same area. 
Yep, for gotcha. sure. And and that's the thing, like small properties, there's a ton of stuff you can do to make a small property more desirable or to hunt better, you know, from hinge cut lines to small water holes. I mean, there, there's so many property management stuff you can do to even like a 20 acre piece to, you know, make it more desirable to kill a buck on. Yeah. So how far are you from the Iowa border on that piece? Or wait, no, that was that a cent- piece, that's the central Minnesota piece, right? Yeah, that's the central Minnesota piece. So my lease in southeast Minnesota, I mean, I'm probably 20 minutes from Iowa and 30 minutes from Wisconsin. I mean, I'm right down in the corner, right right by the Mississippi River in that bluff country stuff. Yeah. And and that piece is different. So like I could put in a food plot, but it's there's food everywhere. Like, how would I compete with standing corn that's there every year during deer season? You know what I mean? And yeah. so with that piece, I've just done uh, – trying trying to do more, like, I guess just scouting and kind of understanding the box. And, and that hunt's totally different. So central Minnesota's flat. I, I have no real elevation. Southeast Minnesota is a completely different animal. And, and being a guy from central Minnesota that – started to hunt bluff country i didn't kill crap for like the first five years i was there i thought you needed to be in the bottom then i thought you needed to be in the top then i thought you needed to hunt the edge of field like i'd never been able to hunt close to field so i was like oh great hunt the edge of a cornfield and i'd see all these fawns and does and spikes but i'd never seen nice bucks and it was it was really not until later that i started to like just watch deer and realize like hey the bucks seem to like to be about a quarter of the way down the hill and you can't skyline yourself and there's thermals and all that stuff that comes with hunting bluff country. That is just like, it's a totally different deer that lives in bluff country than what lives in the flat grounds. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, before we get into this next question, actually, I want to ask you this now that you're a landowner, uh, how many tags are, how many tags do you get? in a year for for whitetails so in the state of minnesota so this is just the general license state of minnesota you get one buck okay and then based on where you are in the state you're able to get like one two three doe tags so like on my farm central minnesota land that i own i'm allowed one buck and but i could party hunt there so technically i you know i could my dad could shoot my buck or something like that but then where my lease is in Southeast Minnesota, it's a chronic wasting zone. So you're actually allowed one buck per season. So one archery buck, one gun buck, one muzzleloader buck, and unlimited does. Yeah. Okay. So one archery, one gun buck, which is rifle or muzzleloader, right? Down, down there, it's shotgun only. Shot, okay, yeah. shotgun only. So essentially, you could kill three three bucks or two bucks? So I could kill three bucks total. So I could kill, let's say I killed my bow buck in central Minnesota. I could go down south to my lease and kill one then with a shotgun and one with a muzzle loader. Okay, I gotcha. So, or, all, or all three in the south or whatever, but yeah. All right, does Minnesota have landowner tags? No, no. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's, that's where, uh, that's where for me being a landowner becomes like awesome because if I buy a piece of property, I get an extra landowner tag and I can use that tag really 
in any any season I want, but I would definitely use it for archery season. So I could get two archery yeah. bucks in a year. And man, I'll tell you right now, that would be, dude, that would be money. I would, I would, I would, you would hear me sing from the rafters. Like I would be so happy to get yeah. a second, a second whitetail tag. See, I like, I, like, I'm lucky because I have the Southeast. So like I have the chronic wasting thing, but like people buy me, let's say in central Minnesota where it's one buck. I like, if you're in Minnesota, you wish you could get two, but then you talk to guys from Wisconsin and then they all wish it was only one buck there, but it's like, they should allow, it'd be cool to get two with a bow. Like I can see one with a gun, but if you could get like two with a bow, that would be so awesome. It, it really would, especially for people like me where I've got five or six different places I hunt spread around the state, you know, and if I killed something on my land up north or down south i could then hunt some of my twin city stuff like i just want to keep hunting i don't want to be done you know yeah that makes sense um so on your on that southeast iowa piece uh how what or southeast uh minnesota piece you're where you're 20 minutes from iowa just out of curiosity how good is the hunting there because one of the best counties in iowa is the furthest northeast county that there is and um yeah and so I didn't, I was just curious if it carries over into Minnesota. It, it definitely does, but you got, you guys have better management of your whitetails in Iowa. You've got a later gun season. Um, we have the chronic wasting disease seasons now. So like previous to chronic wasting zone seasons, it was, it was great hunting. There was, I mean, it was, Nothing to hear of a 200-inch whitetail or a 170 or 180 killed. I mean, I've killed 170s down there, and I, I'm not even on the best of this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, it, it was amazing. It, was, it had to be four points to a side. Well, as soon as you do that for two, three years, people start to see the benefit of, hey, we're passing these two-year-old bucks. Now look at these threes. Oh, my gosh, now we got fours and fives. And the hunting was great, but then with chronic wasting zone – um, seasons and stuff like that. It's the hunting is definitely going downhill down there, but it's still good. I mean, you, if you even like you look at central Minnesota where there's big parties of hunters and stuff like that, we have great deer. It's just if you live in an area that has good, you know, habitat for whitetails, you're going to have good deer. But then when you throw that management on top of it, it's just even better. So southeast is good. I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to get a 170, some 150s, stuff like that down there. And like I said, you go just south of where I'm at into the good valleys. And I mean, those guys are killing 200s yearly down there. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so sounds like you got your hands full, man. I mean, you got you, <laughs> in, a, in a good way, right? I mean, you got options, yeah. you got property up where you, where you live you got uh property that you own you got a lease down on the southeast uh side of the state so you know like when it now you have all these things and you've you've had a big fat mature buck on the property that you've owned what are your goals going in to every season or to this upcoming well, I, season i'm i got two daughters that are 10 and 8 and they absolutely love coming up there with me. And so I'm a traveling salesman. I'm gone a lot. I fly a lot. I drive a lot. I spend way too many nights in a hotel every year. So like with this COVID stuff last year, getting to go up North with my daughters and like 
maybe they'll never shoot a deer, but they really love checking cameras. They love filling the water holes, watering the apple trees, planting the food plots, just anything like that. Shed hunting. They had a blast to shed hunting this spring. So for me, it's just all about, you know, going up there and just getting experiences and time with my family, like even probably more so than shooting a nice buck, which is, you know, maybe crazy to say, but I mean, like I, I had a ton of fun with them last year. I took them bow hunting a couple of times and like, we seen some deer and they were so excited. Kind of reminded me of when I was a kid, I guess. And I was just excited to see deer and, and be with my dad when he was hunting, even if we didn't get something, it was fun. And I think it kind of helped to ground me to, you know, remind me like, Hey, I'm out here enjoying this. And like, they're having fun, whether I shoot a mature buck or not, yeah. you know? Yeah, man. Uh, now I'm starting to get fired up for the upcoming season because, uh, oh. I, I think I'm going to spend, ex- you know, early season, uh, or in that, in that money weather time frame where it's not too hot, but it's not too cold of mid October, where I think I'm going to be able to get some tree stand time in with my with my daughter, and I'll tell you right now, I'm looking forward to starting that with her and my my oldest son, and then obviously for personal reasons, getting into that dude, just getting into that rotation or just getting into that rut, like man, and checking trail cameras and all that stuff. Like I still have all that stuff to do, and I'm starting to get fired up for it. Exactly. Well, it's like I mean, all the work, like. People that are, you know, your weekend warrior deer hunters or they're they're like, they just get into it for gun season. And then there's people I feel like kind of like me and you where every day I wake up and I think about something deer hunting (laughs) and I have a running list on my phone of like, hey, I need to save up and get one more trail camera for that, you know, spot. I need to stop and pick up some more minerals i need to you know hopefully get my bow here pretty soon because they're way behind on shipping bows like just all of this deer stuff and and like all of the the tractor work that needs to be done like there's so much so when it's finally time to just hunt it's almost relaxing in a way and like all of that work is finally you know going to pay off you know yeah couldn't agree with you more man well i'll tell you this uh i really uh, appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and uh, talk whitetails with me and us here and uh, let me be the first to say good luck this upcoming season man hopefully everything pays off yeah for sure i mean you too i mean i I, we're gonna have a good season we had an easy winter we've got a nice hot summer starting off here so i think it's the deer gonna are gonna do some growing for us and that wraps up today's episode, man. Uh, huge shout out to Danny for taking time out of his day to get this done. Huge shout out to each and every one of you. Not only do I want to thank you for listening to today's episode, but I want to thank you for uh, like just growing with the Nine Finger Chronicles, growing with the Sportsman's Nation. And if you feel that there's someone out there who could benefit from this podcast, dude, do me a favor and start sharing it. You know, share... Uh, stuff on social about the podcast and and tag me in it and I will share I share all that stuff so uh, make sure you guys are tagging me uh, the Nine Finger Chronicles in any social posts uh, and I'll do my due diligence to try to get it shared Uh, I do it mostly through Instagram stories but there's other ways to share as well Uh, if you have a cool story or you want to uh, be a guest on the podcast hit me up through Instagram or Facebook and uh, huge shout out to the partners 
of the of the the podcast man we're talking about exodus we're talking about wasp we're talking about hunt stand lone wolf vortex you know so that's wasp vortex hunt stand ozonics lone wolf exodus please go out and support those companies that support this podcast uh, and if you're going to be in a tree wear your damn safety harness because i just had a guy tell me the other day that i don't say that anymore so there i said it and that's it have a good weekend good vibes in good vibes out and we'll see you next week Thank you.